You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, Episode 73, brought to you by Vessi Seeds and Safer's Gardening Products. Hey folks, we're here and we've got the second part of that uh, great interview I had with Lee Reich. Uh, Lee Reich is the author, Lee Reich, the author of the book, uh, his most recent book, The Ever Curious Gardener. He's got a number of other books as well. If you go to his website, leereich.com, there's a link to that in the show notes uh, for this podcast and the previous one. Uh, you can see his books and you can even, I think there's links there you can use to buy them through Amazon, I believe. Uh, if that's of any interest to you, um, I recommend it. So uh, in this half of the interview, we talk about his uh, understanding or concept of sustainability and uh, a couple of other questions I had uh, rising about the book about uh, legumes and their capacity to put nitrogen in the soil as well as uh, his use of uh, wood ashes in the garden. So have a listen. So the last thing you wanted to talk about was uh, sustainability. And I wasn't. Uh, what does that mean to you in terms of the way you go about gardening, and, and how do you practice that? So sustainability actually means a few things to me. One thing, and uh, this is one thing that I think people often don't uh, figure in. Sustainability is in gardening to me means something that the gardener, me or anyone else, uh, can they sustain it? Will be you know people come up with all sorts of systems for gardening mm-hmm. and you know they make good book they make good book titles and and people embrace them and and i'm always curious are people going to be doing that 10 years later right. or is it just like this kick and it, and you get excited about it and then you sort of get bored with it so i think sustainability in terms of the gardener is important first of all does it keep your interest in gardening yes. because that was, that was one key key point in my new book is that uh, even though I've gardened for many, many years, I mean, I still find it totally fascinating right. every year. And I think <clears throat> a sustain to be sustainable, however you garden, should keep you interested so it's not a job. Oh, yeah, I have a... And, uh, and also sustainable... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I have a friend, uh, you, know, you know, over time you reconnect with people over Facebook and LinkedIn, that, mm-hmm. you know, that old high school friend. Yeah, and uh, he he said, "Oh, I, I I saw your one of your YouTube videos. Uh, I, I tried gardening, but I found it so boring. You just do the same thing year after year." And I thought, "My right. God, I never see it that way. It's it's almost like you know the famous quote by the philosopher uh, Heraclitus, something like you never put your finger in the same river. You can never step in the same river twice, um, and you wow. never have the same garden from year to year. It's it's always different, and there's always something that goes right and something that goes wrong, and some harebrained scheme you have to." change something you know i always have some crazy plan for something every year and i hope that never ever changes your title for your book ever curious gardener is a perfect title yeah and that's i I start out with that quote from thomas jefferson though an old man i'm a young gardener i mean you always it's always like it's uh, it's always new yes and uh and and then the other part of sustainability from term in terms of the gardener is are these things you do that you will be able to do even as you grow old so you can always do them you know i mean to me the to be able to just keep gardening uh there was a a famous garden writer that died about uh, must be about 25 years ago now and he died just uh, working among his daffodils so i guess he was still doing it uh so that's one thing about sustainability uh, the other thing is that um, is it sustainable in terms of the planet? I mean, is it is it is it utilizing resources that are finite, or is it something that you can keep doing uh, because it's regenerating? I mean, the, the Earth as a as a system can does have certain things that regenerate. So that's why, uh, for instance, when we talked earlier about um, fertilizing my garden, 
and I said I use only compost. I used to use, because uh, I wasn't sure that compost would really, even though I'd made the calculations, that compost would really fill the bill for all the nutrients. Mm-hmm. So I used to add uh, inorganic you know, fertilizer. I used soybean meal, right. which supplies nitrogen, which would be the thing most limiting. So I used to add, sprinkle that on and put compost on top of it. And uh, and that really was not sustainable because, you know, the soybean meals, soybeans have to they have to be harvested, they have to be shipped, and, uh, you know, so that's not sustainable. So that's one thing I like about uh, this part of my system, at least, is the compost really comes from uh, either waste products that I'm generating here on the property mm-hmm. or, uh, or local sources of waste products. For instance, I add some uh, horse manure to my compost, and basically there's a stable that it's uh, – this is – was like a manure producing uh, factory. Yes. I mean, you know, one day I went there and I guess they got somebody to clear out this humongous pile of manure and uh, and take it, you know, I, I guess spread it on some land. And, you know, two later, thing, it's a giant pile again. <laughs> so, you know, this is this sort of a service I'm performing. Or like you said with the leaves where people rake up their leaves and they're just uh, bagging them up to, uh, to put in land to recycle some way you know i picked those up too and uh so so this is part of a system that's uh you know is sustainable i mean humans produce waste and waste is not waste if it can be reutilized and it can be reutilized and it can it can be the cycle where the waste is produced it grows food waste is produced grows food (laughs) so that that's that's what and a lot of times people uh uh, I think embraced readily, say an organic fer- fertilizer, a fertilizer because it's organic rather than a chemical fertilizer. But organic fertilizers, you know, they're bagged and they, they have to be produced and, uh, and shipped. You know, most mostly they're not. It's not a sustainable. It's you know, you couldn't go on doing that for a thousand years, or or the stuff would be used up. Whatever goes into making it, or what goes into transporting it. Yeah, I mean, you're just you're buying a petroleum product, whether you want to admit it. It's in a plastic container. Right. It was shipped and it was stored and it was processed in a factory. Well, even, and, you know. even the growing, yeah, even the growing of it probably. Uh, you know, the the soybean meal that I would buy, I didn't buy organic soybean meal, so uh, it was probably produced you know there was fertilizer added fertilizers uh is is made with petrochemicals yeah. uh you know every way you look at it and some giant harvester gathered it up and <laughs> yeah and i realized that i have created sort of a a little microcosm here and and it might not be applicable to everyone everywhere but still there's there's if you just you don't have to achieve perfection. You just go in that direction as much as you can, and you think of innovative ways of doing these things, and uh, you're getting there. That's the way I look to like to look at it as well. It's like it's not like you're you've joined a fundamentalist sort of sect. It's just you you've got a goal, right? I want to minimize the impact I have and make yeah. this as sustainable as possible, and make everything sort of dovetail with. Is there a surplus coming out of somewhere that I can? use in my garden. So I look at my lawn. I look right. at my lawn as a perfect example. I mean, I hate having to keep a lawn, but you have to maintain your property value here and you have to have some kind of lawn. And where I live, it's outside of the city limits. So everybody here has a septic field. So half of my lawn is a septic field and the other half of my lawn is just a regular grass lawn. And guess which part of my lawn is the best part? Right? This, the septic field part <laughs> is beautiful. I never have to do anything. I never have to water it or 
right? So the, the part of my grass that grows with all of our waste is the best. And the rest of the lawn, which I have yes. to put NPK on and all these other things, is terrible. It's got weeds. It's, 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 it's not even close. Like, you can tell which part of my lawn is getting the good stuff. And the good stuff is waste. Uh, yeah. So that's a, yeah. it's just a simple example of uh, the way everything else can work in a garden. I've often thought of uh, just having a garden in the in the septic field. It would probably be the best garden ever. Yeah, I, I often get compliments on my lawn, but I have to say the the only thing I do to my lawn is mow it. Nothing else at all. <laughs> that's great. And those compliment those compliments are only spring and early summer. <laughs> then the lawn looks more forlorn, but you know. Oh, because in the summer know. it gets uh, really. too hot or whatever, or just you you lose. Uh, yeah, too hot, too dry. Yeah, <laughs> except for this summer, we were in July and August. We were four inches. Normal rainfall is four inches a month, and it was uh, closer to eight inches a month. Wow, well, you must have had a hell of a garden this year. Well, I actually prefer to have no rainfall because I have drip irrigation. Oh, I see. <laughs> Yeah, it's the opposite for me. So I don't have any irrigation at all. Irrigation when it's hot and sunny and and dry in the summer. People sometimes ask me in town. Uh, they'll say, "How's your garden growing?" And they'll probably think I'm going to start moaning and groaning. And to me, that's ideal. I get all the sunlight. Yeah, I know you're here in heaven, exactly. Yeah, no, I'm completely uh, yeah. dependent on the on the good side. I, you know, yeah, it's, it's sort of it irrigates itself by it's irrigated it's irrigated by the sky but i'm completely at the mercy of uh, yeah <laughs> the climate like this summer i i had a good garden this year i and i literally didn't water it from i'd say around the middle of july well i okay stopped watering it in the middle of july i didn't water it at all it worked yeah i mean uh, i mean it's possible to it's possible to have a good i mean you know 100 years ago people didn't water their gardens ever probably cuz they didn't have hoses <laughs> But uh, <laughs> you can just do so much water can. Yes, yes. That's um, a good point. So, you know, you can, but uh, I guess because my, my garden's really, everything's packed into, it's actually bigger than it should be because I really pack a lot into a small area. You know, it's multiple cropping and intercropping and, yes. you know, everything's Very intensive. really intense. And in many years, if I didn't have drip irrigation, it would just, uh, you know, I wouldn't have the, patience to water it by hand even with a good mulch and with all the mycorrhiza and stuff like that you don't think it would the things wouldn't oh well, yeah if you put the plants close enough and and also as, as we spoke about earlier it's, it's uh, hotter here in the summer yes. i mean it'll get 95 here yes yeah uh, so you know this for transpiration so plants just need that much water yes you're right you're right you're right yeah all right, so that was a great conversation about sustainability. Uh, I got a couple more just little questions that came up from reading your book, and I'm not done it yet, so we definitely want to have you back and ask you more questions about the book and other books you've written. But uh, two questions I have, and this is debates I've had with uh, our our friend and colleague Robert Pavlis, and that is about the benefits of nitrogen-fixing plants like beans and legumes and stuff like that. And and also mm -hmm. adding uh, wood ashes to your garden, whether it's beneficial or not. So let's let's start with nitrogen fixing. Um, the argument, or from what I've read, it's certain plants like legumes. They they have a means of, of pulling nitrogen out of the air and and fixing it in their in, in nodules in their root systems. I'm I'm going to oversimplify all this because I'm not as sophisticated as you. And uh, and the argument is that somehow that benefits your soil and increases the nitrogen count in your soil. 
And uh, I've heard Robert uh, Pavlis argue that there's no real evidence to suggest that that's the case. He's not never seen a scientific, you know, peer-reviewed study that that sort of proves that. Um, where do you come in on that? I think Robert's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't. Um, I'm trying to think of. I mean, I don't know if anybody proved it or not, but maybe. Maybe he means while the if you're growing plants side by side while the legumes are growing, they might not their nitrogen they fix is not available. They have to uh, you know the the tissue has to decompose in the soil, and then it will release the nitrogen. That makes so maybe it's a matter of timing. That makes sense. Yeah, maybe he's talking about about you know you know especially permaculture people sometimes they like to plant legumes or nitrogen other nitrogen plants next to plants that need a lot of nitrogen on the theory that those plants will su supply it. And uh, so I, I think it, while they're both growing, they won't supply it. But once the nitrogen-fixing plant uh, dies and starts to decompose, it, it can do that. Oh, like where you've got a field and you've got clover and and uh, grass in the same field. So the the, the clover isn't the clover that's growing isn't necessarily supplying the grass any nitrogen. It's the, the, the clover that grew before maybe uh, is right. providing a benefit. The clover that's not there anymore. Yeah, and and it's, and yeah, and part of the evidence for that is that uh, legumes, the the tissue themselves, the stems, the leaves, are higher in nitrogen than a lot of other plants. So since they're higher in nitrogen, when they decompose, they're going to release more nitrogen. Right. Well, and also, I mean, if you think about uh, any sort of legume, I'm going to use a bean as an example, uh, you know, especially if it's an indeterminate bean, it it doesn't stop growing until the frost hits it, right? It's it's growing right up until the day it's right. killed. So if it's, if, it's, yeah. if it's storing up nitrogen in its roots and then it's immediately killed, then that nitrogen isn't going from the roots to the stems because the, the stems are dead. So it's got to, you know, as long as you don't pull it out of the ground, I assume it's going to, some, there's got to be a net gain. Uh, conceptually, to me, there has to be some kind of net gain uh, in the soil. I don't know what to what extent it is or in what order it is, but there has to be some kind of a net gain. Well, they, they, I mean, you can calculate if you grow a legume as a cover crop, you know, it's, a dedicated cover crop, say through the growing season, you can put enough nitrogen in the soil for the, for a subsequent non-leguminous crop. Mm -hmm. Well, that's so. So this thing is wrong. I don't know. I mean, I can't think of a scientific paper that's looked specifically at that. But I'm, I'm sure there there are plenty. Right. Yeah. Well, it, and and in traditional in traditional agriculture, this is where uh, in agriculture this is where Nitrogen needing plants got their nitrogen. They would grow, uh, you know, rotations of rotations. A, a legume followed by, yeah, by a by a crop that was legume. Well, I certainly do that in my garden. Like I, uh, beans sort of uh, beans. I I tend to, from what I've read, the squashes are heavy feeders, so the beans tend to fall. Like I'll have like potatoes and then a green and then a squash yeah. and then beans. Ah. You know, and right. I tend to, you know, and I grow a good. I probably have about any given. Year I've got three, three or four different kinds of beans going. I grow a lot of beans because they freeze so easily, and we like them. Um, <laughs> so it seems yeah. to be a way to um, give a garden a break. You know, that's that's the they don't let anything yeah. lie fallow. But the the year that the beans are growing is the year the garden's sort of getting a little break. Um, right. 
the other question I want to ask, and this is another debate I got into Robert, is what I like about him is if you if you post something on his website and you, he thinks you're wrong, he'll just he doesn't do you as like a solid like, hey, I was on that guy's podcast. I'm going to agree with everything he says. He does not do that. <laughs> um, but that's I respect that, and that's the kind of person I want, you know. Um, so uh, uh, he he had uh, commented on uh, I think I put a video up and said, hey, look, I'm I'm putting some wood ashes on my guy. I have a wood stove, and you know it's it's just like a thing that's left over from using the wood stove. So I'll I'll scatter them around uh -huh. me in the winter. I don't do it like so when I put wood ashes in the garden, I do it in the winter. So by the time springs roll around, they've been rained on and snowed on and so on and so forth. I'm, I'm never exactly sure, you know, what exactly they're adding to the equation. But he he said, well, like, you're adding a toxic substance to your soil. There's toxins in there. There's all kinds of different things in there that, you know, in certain concentrations. Um, so he didn't really see, um, you know, any any gain to that. I've, I've read a number of, of articles from, I read a lot of these university extension type articles that uh, some of the American universities have and you know within a certain concentration they say it's, it's a good thing to do. It, there's a benefit, there's a net benefit to the soil, there's a lot of minerals in there. And certainly you know if you're putting the ashes from you know a quart of wood <laughs> on your garden you're gaining a lot of minerals because but uh, and I, and I was noticed in your book, you, you spread some wood ashes around your garden. So what's your take on the whole wood ash thing? Yeah, and what I do say in my book is that it's a, you know, it's a benefit, but you can have a good thing. Basically, wood ashes are high in potassium and other minerals, and, they also, and they're also alkaline. But, uh, you know, there are times if you put too much in one place, you'll get an imbalance of... of uh, of uh, soil minerals, and you'll get too much alkalinity. Too much alkalinity. So it's, uh, it's really the the dose. But but the, it's like uh, like one of my horticulture professors when I was taking a nutrition class. Uh, people talk about uh, you know this sort of an old wives' tale about adding Epsom salts to tomato uh, to get better tomato plants. Yes. You add it to the soil, and Epsom salt is uh, magnesium sulfate. And as he said, I mean it's so. If the, if the plant, if the soil is deficient in magnesium, that will help. If it's not deficient in magnesium, it won't help. Right. You know, if the soil needs, uh, if the soil is too acidic and you want to make it less acidic, wood ash will help. If it's low in potassium and you want to add some potassium, wood ash will help. If it's high in potassium, wood ash won't help and it could uh, be detrimental. <coughs> and if you have a, a plants like blueberries, which like very acidic soils, you definitely don't want to put wood ash on yeah. them. So I don't, so I don't think I th I think toxicity. You know, they always say the poison is in the dose. That's right. Yeah. So toxicity is is a question of uh, you know how much how much you add and how much you need. And if you add, you can make it uh, use it in a toxic manner, or you could use it in as a fertilizer. Right. Yeah. I think if you were like well. A little bit's good, so I'm going to dump a bucket on it. <laughs> yeah. No, I also heat with wood, and um, and so I get a lot of wood ash, and I actually don't even put it in my garden. Uh, maybe very rarely I'll sprinkle a little on a compost pile, mm. but uh, mostly what I do is I try and disperse it 
over my whole property, which is two acres, just because I think it would be too much to put in one spot. That's kind of what I do. I spread it all over my lawn and you know, kind of everywhere sort of thing, and I put a bit on my garden as yeah. well. But um, it's not in any – I'm just – it's almost like a, a dusting, but I'm just using something up that I've got. Yeah, one good use of it is if you, if you have uh, – you know, if you're – you know, if you have a lot of snow in the garden, right in the garden, and it's spring and you want to warm up soil faster, so a quick way to melt snow is you just sprinkle some wood ash on top of that snow. And both, I think, the color of it and just the the uh, salt content of it, or I'm not sure what it is, but anyway, snow quite quickly, quite quickly, and then you can plant sooner. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a way to get that solved. <laughs> there was there was one year that, right. that year we had all that crazy snow that's exactly what i did in my garden because uh i didn't think i was ever going to be able to plant anything uh, <laughs> it's <was> just <laughs> crazy i mean we, and we had just yeah. like an insane amount of snow um all right well you know this has been uh great uh and uh, uh lee and I, I really hope we can have you back again uh i got I got to finish reading your book, and I'm sure it's just, just uh, for, for those that uh, are looking for a good book to read or a book to buy. That person who has everything that's in the gardening, uh, this is a good one to get because it's it's extraordinarily dense with the information. The, the title is is absolutely apropos. Um, the ever curious gardener, and if if you're a curious gardener, if you're the kind of person that's always looking to learn learn more and and you know uh, digest some more information, is certainly the right way to go. Um, so I'm going to continue to read this book and continue to digest the information, and, and I'm sure I will have. Uh, I always in my bathroom I have uh, some stuff I'm reading and pencils to make notes. You <laughs> 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 never stop being a student, right? Um, so uh, right. I definitely uh, have a new barrage of questions, and uh, maybe even uh, read a couple of, of your other books and have some books uh, questions coming up from that. But uh, yeah, we'd love to have you back. Okay. Yeah, I hope you I hope you yeah. enjoyed yourself and. Uh, it's always good to talk to other gardeners about gardening. Yeah, and I would love to be That's back. Great. Thank That's you. Great. All right, folks. Well, that uh, just about wraps it up for this week. Uh, thanks, Lee, for coming on. And uh, everyone out there, there's still some gardening to do, so enjoy your fall. And uh, until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for being on the show, Lee. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having great. me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to that. And uh, that was that wraps up the second part of my interview with Lee Reich. It was just great having him on the show, and I can't wait to have him on the show again. Uh, if you have any questions for Lee, please put them in the comments section, and I'll put them aside. And the next time we have Lee on the show, assuming he comes back, uh, we'll put those questions to him at the time. I apologize for any sort of sound quality issues we have with the show. It's something we just... We, 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 could, we were aware of it at the beginning of the show, but it really was nothing we could do about it, so we just decided to push through and, and, and get the content out there. And uh, uh, I'm working on, uh, during the hiatus that I'm going to take uh, in, in a few weeks, uh, I'm going to work on improving the sound quality of my uh, recorded interviews. It's just uh, part of the process of uh, learning how to do this whole podcast thing. So until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for staying with me. I really appreciate your listenership. And until next time, get out there, get at it, and have fun in your garden. Thanks for listening.